talking about the idea of going back to normal and uh, what that doesn't look like because we all know that things aren't normal right now and they're probably not going to be for a really long time. And as we've looked through the book of Acts, we can see how much we can really relate to that. Um, and I started the series by asking the question, do we really want to go back to normal? And I know initially we're, we're saying, yes, yes we do. Um, but from a spiritual perspective and from a perspective of a church, do we really want to go back to normal? Because I could even argue that the names that we celebrated a few minutes ago, we could argue that maybe some of those names wouldn't be here had it not been for some of the things that's gone on. Um, there's, there's a, you know, a relative argument you could make for some of those things. Some of the, per, perhaps even some of the people that were baptized. Um, God has done amazing things through that. And so I started with the question of, do we look at the problems that we have or do we look at opportunities? Because we can really focus on the problem but problems always generate opportunities, especially when you're looking through life through the lens of Jesus. You can always see opportunities. And so, yes, our definition of normal has been completely changed and uprooted. And we also know that God is in the business of breaking the cycle of normal. I know I've seen that in my life. I know you've seen that in your life, if you would be honest with yourself. God is in the business of breaking the cycle of normal. And we see that in every page of the book of Acts as we have gone through. We see that every page that we flip, that the early church could not get used to anything. They had to get used to different because anything and everything that was normal was up for grabs at any given time. And we know that Acts is a sequel to the book of Luke, that it was written by Luke, who was a physician and a Gentile, and he was a companion of Paul and his team and traveled with them and wrote down everything that, that went on um, as they were uh, going on their missionary journeys and all of that. And, and Acts really does answer the question of how the gospel uh, got from Jerusalem to Rome and to the ends of the earth. And we've talked about how Acts of the Apostles, the book, could really be considered more the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles because the Holy Spirit has just been active and, and throughout every page. As you turn through, you see the Holy Spirit moving in, in powerful, powerful ways. And we know that the Acts of the Apostles, the book, the Acts of the Apostles, shows us that there is nothing normal about following Jesus. I think we all know that there is nothing normal about following Jesus. And so a quick recap to this point, if you uh, haven't been uh, part of, you know, listen to, to part of this or been here for part of this, or maybe you're joining us online for the first time. I'm going to sum up where we are really, really quickly and not do it any justice, quite frankly, because there's a lot there. Um, but Jesus leaves uh, and, and ascends in Acts 1.8, and he looks at, uh, at his disciples, and he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that becomes the goal of the church, that they are to start there, they are to start at home and to work their way out and to reach the ends of the earth for the church. And that's exactly what happens. The church begins to expand uh, through the efforts of the apostles as well as Paul. And Paul, who was Saul, was a guy that was killing Christians and he was hunting them down and was just the worst guy quite frankly, and the Lord really uh, showed up and changed his life so radically that, and, and called him my chosen instrument to the Gentiles. And I want you to remember that as we go through today, that he's the, the chosen instrument and that God is going to use every bit of his life and every bit of the way that his life was manufactured and every bit of the way that he is wired as a person and God uses him 
in some amazing and powerful ways. And one of the overall things that we can get from that is that God wants to do that with each and every one of us as well. We just have to give him the opportunity for that. And so as the church expands, we see something that we've, we've talked about a, a few times as well, the opposition of the enemy, opposition of those that are trying to keep uh, Paul down and trying to keep the church from spreading, and then the intervention of the Holy Spirit. And we see the Holy Spirit intervening all of the time as we go throughout, of the, throughout this every step of the way. And so last week, we left Paul, who was on a missionary journey, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth with uh, his friend Silas, who is also from the church in Antioch. And they are uh, going to the end of another missionary journey. And, and last week, we looked at how they broke out of prison. Well, actually, the Holy Spirit broke them out of prison uh, through a worship service. And, uh, and there was an earthquake, and the chains fell off, and the doors opened. And the jailer that was there, his life and his family's life were changed radically for the cause of Christ because of what the gospel meant to them. And Paul and Silas took advantage of that opportunity and changed not only him, but his family. And it says all of them were baptized. And it's such a cool story. And so now we're coming to the end of the missionary journey, this particular missionary journey, and the beginnings of another journey that happens. And so we're going to skip a bit because over the course of chapters 18 through 26, Paul travels to various places um, and he preaches and he heals people and there is opposition and there is intervention over and over again. And Paul continues to be bold and he, he continues to, uh, to do the work of the Lord. And, and it's funny because if you read through those stories, it reads a lot like an adventure story, like a treasure island or something along those lines, because they're just different, like amazing things that happen through all that, but it's really like one place to another and, and all of these little anecdotal stories that are really, really neat. So I would encourage you to read all of those. But Paul begins to feel called back to Jerusalem and he's feeling called back to Jerusalem and, and the people that are around him are like, uh, I don't think that's such a good idea. They all want to kill you. And he says, you know, I really feel that this is where the Lord is calling me back to. And he knows that suffering is waiting for him. He knows that it's not safe for him to go there, that the religious leaders wanted him dead, but this is personal for Paul. His relationship with God is very personal for him, and I hope it's personal for you. Um, this is where he persecuted followers of Jesus. This is where he persecuted followers of Jesus. This is where Jesus himself was executed. And so in, in a very um, strange way, this is almost an honor for him to go back to this place and to suffer uh, as Jesus did and to suffer for Jesus. And Luke, who's writing this, his writing and the things that he's saying starts to sound familiar. And we start to see some things that maybe we recognize from Luke's writing in the past, a lot like how the story of Jesus went down. Because when people of Jesus follow the way of Jesus, their story begins to look like his story. Think about that for a minute. When we follow the ways of Jesus, our story can begin to look like his story when we follow the ways of Jesus. But it always comes with a cost. It always comes with a cost. So Paul goes to Jerusalem and he gets arrested. He gets arrested, but the Roman soldiers actually save his life because they were going to stone him again. He was going to get um, beaten and, and stoned and killed and executed again. And the Roman soldiers are like, okay, we almost made this mistake before. Time out. He's a Roman citizen. We can't kill this guy. So the Roman soldiers actually save his life. And 
he is, uh, he's not a criminal, but there's some people that look at him as a criminal. And his claim about, being, uh, about Jesus being the rightful king keeps getting him into trouble, obviously, because he's, he's in, uh, he's in this, this area where there is a Caesar who is king, right? And, and all of this stuff. And so he's not really rising up like people are trying to accuse him of, of starting this revolt. There really isn't one happening. It's really just him trying to push people to Jesus. And so he gets transferred from, uh, from court to court and trial to trial, which starts to sound like Jesus, getting transferred from trial to trial to trial. And everybody's just passing him off to somebody else. And finally, Paul actually stops. He says, you know what? I want to take my case before Caesar. I want to take... I want, to, I want to go straight to the highest authority in the land. I want to take my case to Caesar. And they're all like, fine, go. And so they ship him off. And so on the way back to Rome, he's on a boat. And the boat, he's, he's a prisoner on this boat. And the boat runs into this violent storm. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 27 is where we're going to be starting today. If you have your Bibles or the Bible app, you can follow along. We're going to be in Acts 27. But while he's on this boat, there's this violent storm happening while they're on the boat. And if you, if you read the passage, it's interesting because it seems like he's having, it doesn't say this specifically, but if you read into what it's saying, I really feel like this is probably what was happening. He was observing the Lord's Supper. He was having communion below deck while this crazy violent storm is happening up top. And I can't help but think of the story of Jesus. If you know this story, you know what I'm talking about, of Jesus with the disciples on a boat, and there's this crazy violent storm, and they're all freaking out. We're going to sink. We're going to die. And they go downstairs to get Jesus, and he's taking a nap, which cracks me up every time I read it, because obviously he's not phased by what's going on. And Paul is, in, in some ways, it seems about the same. They go down, and he's like, we're eating. Can, do you mind? You know? Um, and so it's very similar to Jesus here. But Paul promises them, because they're all freaking out, he promises them that, that they are going to survive. They're going to survive, and they're going to get through the storm. Paul told them they would be safe if they went a particular way. He was trying to tell them at the beginning of the, of the journey, if you guys sail this particular way, we're going to be fine. Now, granted, he's a prisoner, and he's telling these people on the boat who have sailed these waters various times in the Mediterranean Sea, and he's telling them a different way to go, and they're all like, look, we've sailed this many times, I think we know. And he said, no, you need to go this way, and sure enough, they run into a violent storm because they, go, they didn't listen to Paul, and so where we pick up the story here, we see that the ship is in trouble in a storm, and Paul is basically going, told you. So here we go. Acts 27, beginning in verse 21, it says this. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and he said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Remember that right there. Remember that line from God to Paul. It says, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. I like how he just says on some island. Um, super nonchalant. So the storm and the danger were very real that they were in. 
very real danger. But God was more real to Paul than the terrible circumstances that they were going through. And Paul knew this was much more, much more than just a situation with a ship, that this had big implications on a lot of things because the angel of God appeared to him about this. And so his confidence was strong. His confidence was incredibly strong. And he had to encourage and inspire everybody on the ship. 276 men aboard this ship. This prisoner had to encourage and inspire them. And he was confident. He wasn't cocky and he wasn't arrogant. He was confident. He was confident because of what God had told him. And so they had to run this ship aground. But God didn't tell them where and he didn't tell them how they would survive, but he just told them they would because God only gives us one step at a time, as we've seen over and over again. And so the next day, the ship is breaking apart, and it runs, begins to run aground on an island, and, and, and everybody's beginning to wash ashore um, and trying to figure out how to get off of, off of this ship. All 276 of them survive, and I'm sure they wanted to abandon ship as this was going on. I can't imagine that they didn't want to just jump ship and, and be like, you know what? This is crazy. I don't know what we're doing. This sure seems like we're going to be in for a big, big problem. So we need to just jump ship. Let me take a sidebar for a quick second because there might be some circumstances in your life. There might be some things going on in your life right now where you might feel like jumping ship is the best option. It might feel like that to you. And maybe it is, but maybe it's not. God might be saying to you right now what he was saying to the men through the Apostle Paul. He might be saying, don't jump ship or all could be lost. Because essentially that's what he was saying. If you jump ship, all is going to be lost. And the waves are crashing and all of that stuff. And I know you might be saying, Jay, you don't understand. You don't know the storm that I'm in right now. You don't get it. You don't know the way that the waves are washing over top and I just feel like I'm drowning and I feel like I, I can't even catch a breath. And you're right, I don't. I don't get it. I don't know everything that everyone is going through. But I know one who does. I know one who does. And I know one who is in control of every wave and every gust of wind and every ounce of the ship that you are on. And you may have lowered the lifeboats and you're just gonna give it another day or give it another month, but, but you're really, you basically got one leg in, in the lifeboat and you're ready to jump ship. Can I just encourage you to seek God, cut the lines to that lifeboat and get rid of them and look to the hands, look to the hands of the one who loved you so much that he bled and died to pull you out of eternal destruction. Look to those hands instead of the lifeboats because all could be lost if you jump ship. So the ship runs aground and everybody needs to swim ashore. Everybody needs to swim ashore and this is what happens here in verse 42. It says the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners. See, Paul wasn't the only prisoner on the ship. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land 
the rest were to get there on planks or on the other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. So the Roman centurion kept Paul and all the prisoners alive and fulfilled the words spoken to Paul. And I told you to remember that, that line from, uh, from the angel speaking to Paul to give him the confidence in what was going on and what was about to happen. Because the, the big lesson that we learn from right here is that God's word never fails. God's word never fails. And it may not always happen the way we think it should, as we've said many times before, but we can take it to the bank that God's word never fails. And Paul had confidence in what was going to happen. He knew that the circumstance seemed crazy. He knew that it seemed dire, but he also knew that God's word never failed. And I think we need to be reminded of this truth more often. And so they're on this island, and they come to find out that it's the island of Malta. Uh, they find that out after, after being there, and, and they're trying to set up camp and uh, just to survive. And the locals that are there, we come to find out as we read, are, are extremely kind to them and, and welcoming to them. And as I, as I told you, it does read a lot like an adventure story if you're reading through it. And then we, we come to this story here that, that is, it's kind of funny, but I wanted to put it in because it really does go to show that God's word never fails and the confidence that Paul had and the fact that no matter what happened, that God was going to keep his word because God told Paul that he would be able to preach the gospel to Caesar in Rome and that everyone on the ship would survive and that would include him, right? So in many ways, in Paul's mind, he's going, we're untouchable and I'm untouchable until I'm fulfilling what God wants me to do. And that's not arrogance. That's, that's him being confident in the power of God. Check out this story. As we go to uh, chapter 28, uh, beginning in verse three, it says, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Crocodile hunters got nothing on Apostle Paul right here. I mean, I'm just saying, this, this viper jumps out and bites him, and he's like, mm. And everybody on the island, they know, like, he should be dead, like, real quick. If you read on a little bit, you see that they're all, like, uh, everybody's, like, sitting there, like, watching him, like, when's he going to die? When's he going to die? And he's like, what? i got to finish making this fire. He just keeps going on. It's so, it's so amazing. But here's the thing. God's word never fails. This is, what, this is one of the lessons you can learn from this little story here. God's word never fails. Paul could take God's past faithfulness, and I think you and I can as well. Think about this. God's past faithfulness is a promise of future blessing and protection. God, uh, Paul knew he could take God at his word because God's word never fails. And so they spend three months on this island three months on the island of Malta, and Paul finally catches another ship, and he finally gets to Rome. Finally gets there, still a prisoner. He's still a prisoner under house arrest, and a lot of the local Jewish leaders, they knew Paul, they knew he was there, and so they come to the house to hear his side of the story. And he's in this house in Rome, and he's preaching the gospel. It says that he tried to persuade them about Jesus, 
is what it says. And so we pick it up here at the end of the book of Acts, beginning in verse 25. It says, they disagreed among themselves, meaning the the Jewish leaders and and people that were there coming to hear Paul's take on who Jesus was and, and the gospel that he's presenting. It says, they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They had hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And this message is just as true today as it was when Isaiah first said it or when the Apostle Paul quoted it. Many people hear, and they only hear, and they reject. And they reject simply because they don't want to turn to God and repent of their sin. Sometimes it's as simple as that, and that can be disheartening. That can be disappointing, that can be discouraging, it can be frustrating, and it can, quite frankly, be sad. But it's something that Paul had to deal with and had to come to terms with in in a lot of ways. And then we go to verse 28. It says, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. So he was talking to the Jewish leaders at the time, and it's not that he gave up on them because God doesn't give up on anyone, and we don't give up on anyone. But if you remember, I told you at the beginning that God told Paul that he would be his chosen instrument to the Gentiles. And this is a moment where Paul's focus really took a shift. And he shifted to focus on reaching the Gentiles more from this moment forward. And the Gentiles are basically anybody that that is not Jewish. And so he really kind of, through this moment, refines his calling and refines his mission. So let's keep going. Verse 30, it says, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So, He spends two years waiting for his case to come before Caesar. Not a whole lot's changed in the judicial system since then, right? It still just takes forever. Um, But in his house, he's able to host groups of people and share the gospel and disciple people who are added to the family of faith. And it's such such a cool thing if you think about it because this is really bold in Rome. He's in Rome. This is where Caesar rules the world as king. And Paul is telling people, to, uh, to turn their hearts to the king of kings. And the kingdom of Jesus is growing in the heart of the world's most powerful empire all through the suffering of a prisoner. And the church just continues to grow. And so for two years under guard, Paul would teach all that came to see him. And if you want to know what Paul was thinking during these times while he was under house arrest, during these two years when he was here, you can really hear his heart because he wrote the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon during these two years. See, God never wastes our time. 
God never wastes our time. We waste our time. He could have looked at this as a complete setback because he's stuck in, under house arrest for two years. This is a guy who wanted nothing more than to go out and to reach people for Jesus, and he couldn't leave. And so what did he do? Did he focus on the problems, or did he look at the opportunity? He looked at the opportunity and wrote four books of the New Testament, which were just letters to him at that time. But God never wastes our time. We waste our time by not seeing God's purpose for our lives in the moment. Because there's always a purpose in every moment. And so Paul eventually had his appearance before Caesar, who was Nero. And it's entirely reasonable to believe that he boldly shared his faith and shared the gospel with Caesar in that moment because God promised that he would. And so we know that God's word never fails. And so we can take that to the bank and we know that he did. But it's interesting because as you may have noticed, there's no real end to this story. There's no real end to the book of Acts here because the history of the church continues the story through the centuries and through today. And trusting in Jesus, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of God the Father, the word of God continues to be spread and it continues to change lives forever. And the book of Acts is really the never-ending story in a lot of ways. And though Paul could not travel because he couldn't, he could teach and preach all who came to see him. And he did that. And he wrote letters. He didn't waste his time and, and God never wastes our time. So eventually he's released by Caesar. He's released and uh, because there was really no case against him. Um, the book of Romans tells us that Paul actually preached the gospel in Spain and throughout Europe um, before he was brought back to Rome again under arrest again. <laughs> so he gets arrested one more time. But this time it wasn't house arrest. This time it was in a dungeon. And this time would be the last time. And knowing that he was on death's door, Paul writes these words in 2 Timothy to his young pupil, Timothy. And we talked about last week how he was investing in the next generation. And he knew how important that that was to empower and invest in the next generation for the kingdom because he knew he wasn't going to live forever and he knew his time was short. And he knew how important it was to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And we're called to do that as well. And so these are the words that he writes to Timothy. Many people believe this, this is the last thing that he wrote. Many scholars believe this is really the last thing he wrote before he was executed, is Second Timothy. So he says this, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And you might say, yep, Paul should get that crown of righteousness. And he should. And you may be saying, but, but not me. I am not the Apostle Paul. I am not that guy. And you know what? 
you're right, you're not that guy. But I think you might be wrong about some of that as we read on. It says, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. See, even I qualify for that. And even you qualify for that. After hearing the good news, don't you fall into this category? Don't you long for the appearing of Jesus? I know I, I can't wait. Through this time that's not normal, are, are you not looking forward to Jesus coming back? I know I am. I would love for that trumpet to sound right now. This moment would be an awesome thing. And that's why the connection point today is anything but normal. <laughs> it's not a connection point that is normal by any stretch because it wouldn't make sense for it to end in a place of, normal, of, of being normal today with this and with, and with all that we've talked about. The connection point, it's really just a bunch of question marks because it's up to you. The book of Acts doesn't really have an end. And as long as you're still here, there's not a place that we're gonna put a bookend yet because you're still on this earth, because you still have something to do, because God still has a reason for you to connect people to Christ, community, and purpose. And all of us have that. It's up to you and it's up to the Holy Spirit through you. Story of Acts ends very open-ended because the story isn't over. We can participate in the kingdom of Jesus that is spreading to this day. And your story, your story is his story and it's never normal. It's never normal and it never ends. Your story never ends. Acts isn't something that happened 2,000 years ago. It is, but it very much isn't because it's still happening today. And the Holy Spirit wants to use you to bring hope to those around you, to bring hope to this world, and it's never gonna be in a way that is normal. Will you bow your heads with me? God wants to use you through the Holy Spirit to reach people around you, and it's up to you to decide what you wanna do with that. God has wired you and created you in a way that is only you. And we see the way that God can use somebody like the Apostle Paul, and God wants to use each and every one of us. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, maybe you're not 100% sure that you're gonna even be with him in heaven one day, or that you have a relationship with God, I would love nothing more than to share that with you today. And for you to maybe, uh, maybe get that right, or to get some of your questions answered, about that because God loves you so much. He created you to have a relationship with him. And this is the gospel that, that Paul risked his life and gave his life to share. And Jesus gave his life for you so that you could have eternal life. Because our sin, that's what separates us from God. And there's nothing we can do to, to get rid of our sins. Jesus paid the price so that you and I could have eternal life so that anyone and everyone could have eternal life. And that, that eternal life can start right now. So if you want to know more about that, if you're watching online, you can go to, uh, go to our website and find out more about that. Connectchurch.xyz slash next. 
And if you're here in person, I'd, I'd love to talk with you afterwards, pray with you. I can meet you at the orange wall or even down front. Father, I, I love you. I thank you so much, God, for this time that we've had to gather together, Lord. And I thank you for the truth of your word. And I thank you that the connection point is, is open-ended because it's, it's really up to you and the Holy Spirit. It's up to the Holy Spirit and us with, with what you want to do with our lives. So, Father, I pray that you would use each and every one of us in such a mighty and powerful way. And if there is one here that doesn't know you as Savior, God, I pray that you would just press on their heart to give their life to you before they walk out of this room. God, I love you and I thank you so much for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.